Eagles Entertainment. We welcome you, Eagles, everywhere to the Eagles Insider Podcast, presented by Lincoln Financial Group. I'm Eagles Insider Dave Spadaro, and we are uh, very excited here. We got a special guest. Assistant General Manager John Ferrari is here to talk about what is new, what might be new, and what won't be new about the NFL in 2023. John, good afternoon to you. Dave, how are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. I'm excited about the season ahead. Yeah, it's nice to be in Philadelphia and not in uh, Phoenix, Arizona anymore. That's right, that's right. Uh, All right, I want to get into it, and and I I think I'm actually going to rerun this as we get closer to the season. I feel like there are a lot of changes that maybe have slipped under the radar a bit um, that fans, everybody was focused on the jersey number. We'll talk about that. Um, But I think there's some very significant rule changes that I, a couple of which I don't really understand, but I know you do. First of all, so it, you're at the NFL's annual meeting. Uh, you're, you're in these big rooms. Yep. What, what is the scene when, when, these, when these proposals are being considered? Well, what we do is bef- on, the, on Sunday, before the votes on Tuesday morning, always on Tuesday morning, on Sunday, the votes are presented to coaches and general managers. The competition committee kind of presents their report. Here's what we've taken away. Here's the state of the game. Here's where we are on officiating. Here's where we are on certain penalties. Here's where we are. Here's where we think the state of the game is. And they then present each of the rule proposals, both from the clubs and from the competition committee. Both clubs and the competition committee can can present the rule proposals. Clubs can submit anything and then the committee will weigh in on them. Here's where our, there's nine members of the committee. We're 5-4 in favor. We're 0-9 against, whatever it might be. When the committee puts something forward, that means they're unanimous in their support of it. Okay, Okay. so when things come from the committee, there's generally a pretty good chance there's a chance a committee member could abstain from a vote, but generally speaking, that means you've you've got a lot of votes in favor. You need 24 votes to pass a rule proposal. Does somebody stand up and lobby for the, and explain the rule and lobby for it? The club proposals, yes. On that Sunday session with the coaches and GMs. So, for example, I stood up for the, when Nick was there with me, Howie was there, I stood up for the, the jersey number proposal. I explained it. I explained our rationale. I advocated for it. I sat down. Then Detroit got up on their proposals. They got up and advocated for it. So yes, that is the, that. That's a little bit of the time to pitch to your colleagues why we think this is a good idea. And is there a lot of open conversation back and forth? Yes. Pros and cons. Yep, there can be. Do they almost, if you feel like cro- being cross-examined, sure. to defend your position? Some of that, yeah. And to pr- to pass, it must be a, a propose. It must be uh, a. Approved by 75%, 24 of the 32 owners. Correct. So nine votes kills a proposal. So the committee, so think about it this way. The committee's got nine members. If the committee's 9 against a club proposal, like we'll talk about the Rams' uh, review of roughing the passer, the committee was 9 So when they were 9 that means there was no chance of it passing. So before it ever went to the floor for a, a vote, uh, they knew that the committee was 9 and they had kind of already mathematically killed it. Then you can withdraw it so it never actually goes to the floor and, and gets a vote. Maybe I missed it. When does the competition committee vote on that? So they meet in Indianapolis at the Combine. Okay. They meet after the Combine, and then they meet before the league meeting at the site of the league meeting. So they have several weeks of meetings in between the Super Bowl and the annual meeting when the votes are. So interesting. Yeah. So and and because they have listen, they have a lot to review. They review, they review in detail 
penalty trends and different competitive issues. I think there's a lot of a lot of people deserve credit for the success of our short yardage offense. Okay, sure, we'll call it short yardage. All right, let's get into what was approved okay. playing rules, and there's also some things that were not a pl uh, playing rules that I also want fans to be aware of. Proposed by you, by the Eagles, and we'll get into how it the actual proposal it, it, it comes about. The uh, permit, per, permitting the use of the no jersey number zero as a, 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 every day, as a, as, a, as a player's jersey number, allowing, the way that I'm reading this, it says, allowing kickers and punters to use any jersey number between 0, 049 and 90 and 99. I don't quite understand that. Um, zero can be used by anybody, but offensive lineman, defensive lineman. Correct. Correct. Right. But certain, you, Calvin Ridley is already yep. number zero. Any, we, player, any player under the previous, the 2021 rule change who could wear uh, anything from zero to 49. So any wide receiver can now wear number zero. Tell me why. Tell me, first of all, how and why the Eagles proposed this. So after the uh, 21 rule change that changed the numbering system, you know, the numbering system hadn't really changed since 1973. Uh, it was, we created a real number crunch for those jersey numerals between one and 19. Um, so you had your you had your normal quarterbacks, you had your kickers and punters, you had retired players. So you got between the specialists, and then all of a sudden you've got a universe of skill players and linebackers who also want those single digits. It created a real number crunch for those low numbers. So with uh, Greg Dalmitros, our, our vice president of, of equipment. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and the equipment managers have a subcommittee. Um, there was some discussion about it, but we, we were looking at different ways in which we could relieve, especially when we're at 90 men and this becomes even more difficult. You know, when you have a guy on a practice squad who might be having a duplicate number, you want to bring that guy to the active roster in a game. Oh, what numbers are you going to wear? It's, it's, there's a lot of wasted energy and effort on something that shouldn't, you shouldn't have to waste I a lot of energy. I never even thought of that. If a guy comes up from the practice squad he can't. He would have to change his number. You have to change his number. Is it difficult to change a number late in a week, for example? Well, if you don't have the applicable number, you know, if yeah. you have a skill player and you don't have an '80s number or a, a low number for it, really, what we're trying to do with this is create another number, which we did with zero, and then also um, give some flexibility. So, you know, if you if you're a team that has multiple kickers and punters, you're not locking in four or, you know, three or four of those low jersey numbers on that kicker and punter. You have some flexibility with that kicker and punter. Let's not be so rigid. We 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 went away from the more rigid numbering system in 21. Now, we this was just an attempt to get a little more flexibility. And it was I think we passed I think it, we only had four no votes. I think it was 28 to four. Hmm. So there was pretty wide uh, support around the league for it. Eagles have nine retired numbers. Chuck Bednarik, Steve Van Buren, Al Wistert, Tom Brookshire, Pete Retzlaff, Jerome Brown, which was, I don't know if you ever heard that story. Reggie White. I'm actually old enough to have been here when Jerome Brown's number was retired. <laughs> Brian Dawkins, Donovan McNabb, um, the, when Jerome Brown died in 1992, the players, we had a halftime ceremony, and the players announced that no, nobody would ever wear number 99 again. And, they, and, it's, and then nobody's worn number 99 number, again. So it really zero. wasn't even an official retirement, but anyway, that's that. Okay, so congratulations. And we don't have a number zero at this point on the Philadelphia no. Eagles roster. No, we don't. Okay, find out who but that it's is. But it's been fun for me, you know, seeing other teams, other players on other teams, Wanting to wear it and it, cool. it being kind of cool, so I, I think it's um, 
I think like stuff like that is, I like stuff like that. Okay. So. All right, here we go. Proposal by the Los Angeles Chargers. Make the adjustment of the play clock following an instant replay reversal consistent with other timing rules. What does that mean? Not to, not to bore the listening audience to tears. This, there is no, this, this is a hardcore audience. Af, after an instant replay reversal, whether, whether successful or, uh, sorry, after an instant replay review period, whether, whether a reversal or a confirmation of the ruling on the field, the play clock sets to 25 seconds. After a team timeout, the play clock sets to 25 seconds. After the quarter change, the play clock sets to 25 seconds. What the Chargers proposed here was after a reversal, so let's say the ruling on the field was incomplete. The ruling on the field was incomplete. They challenge it. It's a catch. We're successful, and it's reversed to a catch. Set it to 40 as if it were a normal play. That was their point. Gotcha. So it should be, you know, and if, if that catch was correctly ruled on the field, it would have the play clock would have ticked to 40 and the offense would have had 40 seconds. So what they're saying is coming out of the stoppage, um, give us the full 40 seconds. And in the fourth quarter, if the, in the time where there would be a 10-second runoff, set it to 30 seconds. So between the 30, which hasn't been done in years, set it the, between the 10 seconds and the 30 seconds, we get our full 40 seconds again on a play that's reversed. That's all it is. They're just trying to normalize Consistency. that. Consistency. Yeah. Segue. Yep. Explain to me, and again, if this doesn't make the podcast, it doesn't make the podcast. Super Bowl, sideline catch, Devontae Smith. Yeah. Ruled a catch. Yeah. Then, after a lengthy review, ruled a non catch. Correct. But a play had been run on the sideline, right? There was like a sideline play. You're conflating two. You're thinking of the Dallas Goddard. Are you thinking of the one, the Dallas catch on the sideline? Yes. Where the play, where we went fast, and yes. then they, yeah, yes, yeah. two different plays. Yeah, Did, let's go back to the Devontae. How was that yeah. in your your understanding? How was that overturned? So the replay official and and the the vice president of of officiating in the replay booth determined that it was clear and obvious that the ball moved that he didn't maintain control to the ground. He was a play. He had control two feet in bounds, and as then he was going to the ground, had to survive the ground. And the ball, they thought it was clear and obvious that the ball moved, uh, showing, demonstrating a clear loss of control. Thanks for the official explanation. All right, here we go. Uh, proposed by the Houston. Wait, do you want to talk about the other? You want to talk about the uh, Dallas play? Yeah, for a yeah. So the Dallas play, what happened was <clears throat> Dallas caught the ball, went out of bounds on our sideline. We're going fast. When a player goes out of bounds in the bench area like that, you know, normally if you're tackled in bounds, we can get on the ball. The official won't stand over the ball, won't allow the defense a chance to match up because we're not making substitutions. If you make a substitution, the official stands over the ball and allows the defense time to match up, to make a, a, an appropriate substitution. If you, even if you don't substitute, but you go out of bounds in your bench area, so there could be some confusion, the official's going to stand over the ball. We went fast after that Dallas catch, and the official ruled that they didn't give Kansas City appropriate time to match up. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. Uh, proposed by Houston, the Houston Texans, expand the replay official's jurisdiction to allow for, for review on failed fourth down attempts. So we know scoring plays and turnovers are subject to automatic review. Mm-hmm. So what this does is this add to the replay officials menu of things that are automatically reviewable are 
turnovers on downs. So you go for it on fourth down, you don't get it. Okay, it's a close catch. It's ruled an incomplete catch. It's a turnover. Now, under the previous rule, that would have had to have been a coach's challenge if you want to look at that. Now, that unsuccessful fourth down attempt, like any other turnover, is going to be automatically reviewed. Do you think this is an exciting podcast? I think it's very exciting. I mean, listen. I love it. I love this stuff, so. Good. We're, I no, we're, believe me. Everybody <laughs> loves this. This is great. I think this is fantastic. All right. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Okay. Um, competition committee, change the definition of a launch to leaving one or both feet. Yeah, really, this isn't going to change anything for the fans or anything about how you watch the game. Um, what was happening was, you know, you can't launch into an opponent, right? You can't, and, and the way the launch had a definition, right? Two feet off the ground, even if you don't make contact to the head, neck area. So the launch isn't defined by the helmet leading the way? No, the launch is defined by the feet. So mm. you could make, you could launch off of two feet, make forcible contact shoulder to body, contact that would otherwise be legal, but because you've launched, it's created a foul. Again, you don't see this very often, but what what this changes, and, and again, I, this won't change anything for sort of how fans watch the game, but what this does is when, when a player gets fined for that launch, um, and they could say in the appeal, oh, look, I had one foot on the ground or my toe was on the ground. This changes the definition of what constitutes a launch to make it easier to enforce that penalty, if that makes sense. Yeah. Certainly makes sense for a player if they get fined. They they want to know why. For sure, they, I mean it's a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, uh, competition committee again. Make the penalty for tripping a personal foul, which is a fifteen yard penalty. Yeah. Previously, just a standard Trip, ten yard penalty. Tripping was a ten yard penalty. Um, tripping in the fifties used to be a personal foul. It used to be fifteen yards back in the fifties. We all remember that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's before my time, Johnny boy. Uh, Way used, before your time, kid. We used kid. to see a lot more trips too. Um, so. Tripping was a personal foul. It became a 10-yard penalty, and you had a leg whip, which was a category of trips that was a personal foul. Okay, The same way you have illegal hands to the face is a 10-yard penalty. It's not a personal foul. Face mask, is, which everybody knows, yep. is a 15-yard personal foul. Um, it is difficult to officiate the difference sometimes between a trip and a leg whip. So in order to create some more consistency, to drive some more consistency, the, the decision was made to make all those trips a personal foul. Okay, fair. Uh, again, competition committee, make the penalty for illegally handing the ball forward consistent with other illegal acts, such as illegal forward passes. Now, this is the time people are going to turn the podcast off. No, I, so, I'm, what, what in the heck is an illegal? So illegal hand, handing so, the ball forward. So I'm about to be, I'm a quarterback in the pocket. I'm about to be sacked and I hand the ball forward to an offensive lineman. Okay. I That's can't desperate. That's desperation. I can't do that. Okay. Right? I can't do that. So now the penalty for that is the same, it includes a loss of down, the same way an illegal forward pass would include. All right. I mean, how often is that done? Maybe once a year. Okay. Um, fourth down, whatever. Okay. Uh, competition committee, make the penalty for illegal punts, drop kicks, or place kicks. Consistent with other illegal acts, such as an illegal same, forward pass. Again, same again, same thing with the handoff. They want it's they want that penalty for those plays, similar to the illegal forward pass, to be all the same, to be to to be aligned. Okay. Uh, this is just a sort of common sense cleanup. You know what they? One of the things that they did this year, which we're still reviewing, is you know they sort of looked at the rule book, 
the committee put, you know, the, the committee built kind of a subcommittee where they looked at the rule book and they looked at some inconsistencies, some redundancies, some things that need to be cleaned up. The rule book's a big book, a big document. So a lot of these little nits here that we're talking about to correct were, I think, as a result of that project to look at the rule book. That, that amended and cleaned up rule book, we actually just got a copy the other day, so all the clubs have a chance to look at that and review that now, which we're doing. Prevent the offense from benefiting by an extension of the half as a result of their foul. I didn't even know you could. So if, the, if, my, if I have the ball, Eagles have the ball, and there's a, a not a dead ball foul, that wouldn't make sense, a holding penalty. In the past, it's been you've had another play? No, the, no the half would end there. Here, here's where, here's where this is relevant. Again, you talk about people in the, you know, your podcast audience turning off the podcast. So... In the in you have an offense. We're, we're going to talk about what's called a clean hand score. So the offense scores a touchdown. click. <laughs> clean hand scores when the offense scores a touchdown. Okay. And then they taunt. They get a personal foul after the score. They score. You don't take that those six points away. The six points count. They scored with clean hands. The foul happened after that. Even if the taunt occurs during before the touchdown was scored, you still get that six points, and then the penalty is enforced after the fact. In college, that taunt would be enforced from the spot of that foul. Oh. You wouldn't get the touchdown. You don't get the clean hands. But the NFL, you get the clean hand score. Okay, the same thing applies to the defense. Let's say the defense, you're throwing a Hail Mary, okay? The defense uh, at the end of a half. Defense stop. Last play of the half. Last play of the half. Defense does a great job. They stop the play. The half goes to zero, and then they taunt. Okay, well, they, they played that play with clean hands. The defense defended with clean hands. That 15-yard taunting penalty would bridge to the second-half kickoff. Gotcha. Okay? But in, in the past, the offense would get another play? No. Oh. The offense would get another play if the defense played with clean hands, okay, taunted, and then the offense had a personal foul as well. If the offense had a... Five-yard penalty and that 15-yard, the five-yard penalty would go away. If 15-yard penalty would extend the half a, a play, and now it doesn't anymore. Okay. Uh, do, do, the, do the Eagles have – do we have any sponsors with sleep bed mattresses or anything like that? No, no, really. This is, I, I love it. I know and we, we're getting to a stuff that – just stay with us, guys, all right? Um, all right. Last one of the competition committee. Clarify use of the helmet yeah. against an opponent by removing the, quote, butt ram spear language and incorporating those actions into impermissible permissible use of the helmet. This is a good change. A couple of years ago when we when the use of helmet uh, penalty was added, it was it's hard to officiate that play. It happens very fast. What this does is simply makes that play more objective and gives the officials more latitude. What we want to do is get that head out of the play in terms of initiating contact. Okay. And what this, both to your, both to anywhere in your opponent's body, if you're lowering that head, okay. or if your head's up, you want to avoid contact with your opponent's head neck area. This is really an attempt to try to make the game safer. The use of helmet foul hasn't, I think, I, in my opinion, had the teeth that we'd sort of hoped it had had. This will help it. This expands the definition of it and makes it much more objective for the officials to officiate. Uh, a little, uh, some bylaws that were approved here. Uh, change the claiming period to Monday for players who are waived on Friday and Saturday of the last week of the regular season. That reads to me like teams were trying to sneak in that, that wave on Friday, right? And, yes. then, and then claim the player back. Correct. So that's no longer. Correct. Okay. Um, uh, 
insert strength of victory as a second tiebreaker for awarding contracts. I have no idea what oh, that means. Yeah, so if you're in the regular season, you're making a waiver claim on a player who's been released by another team, there was strength of schedule, now it's strength of victory as a second one instead of the second tiebreaker was a coin toss before that. Now it's strength of victory. And how often does it go to that? Almost never. Jeez, that's cool. Okay, adjust the rules for postseason signings to account for standard elevation drives. Freeze postseason rosters at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday following the last week of the regular season. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I, what does that mean? Um, I'm not really sure. I got to look at that more carefully. All right. Um, approved resolutions make the regular season and postseason roster transactions deadlines the same Change the transactions deadline for Saturday night postseason games to 4 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Which would have been the same in the regular season. That's the same way it is in the regular season. I can make a move by 4 o'clock on Saturday when, I, when there's a Saturday game, and the guy can play that night. Make that – it was Friday. It was previously Friday. So now it aligned the, – the regular season, the postseason rules, uh, roster rules are the same. You okay. just give it a little more time to make a roster move. Okay. And I'm interested in that because when, when we announce things, 4 p.m. on Saturdays. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Uh, provide greater clarity as to a player's availability for a game. How? Uh, players, Very vague, isn't it? It's it's not. It's actually quite specific. It's that players who are on the, who are on injury reserve who return to practice. Um, so you, they start their twenty-one day practice period. But yes. They're not on the active roster. They're on injury reserve, and they've started their practice period. Well, they can be elevated for the game, but you, they don't have to appear on an injury report. There so now go. they do. Oh, there you go. That's a cool. I like that rule. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Uh, a lot of teams propose this. Establish one, including the Eagles, establish one preseason roster reduction date. So all of the roster, will, it will go from 90 to 53 Correct. at the end of the preseason. Yeah, the COVID rules, which we expanded for a year, had multiple cut-down days. So you'd have joint practices, but you'd have fewer players. You'd have additional preseason games, but you'd have less players. Now we're going to carry those 90 guys through all the joint practices, through the the, the, the preseason games, and then you're going to have one roster reduction on that. Gives team. them more time to impress. No doubt. Saves the players that don't want to play in preseason, that teams don't want to play. Gives guys more reps in the joint yeah. practice period. Uh, it, it promotes player safety. I think the more players you have to spread those reps around, um, it's just positive for everyone. And you can see that's why there were you know, 24, 25 teams that were attached to that resolution. John, John Ferrari, th this is so great. We're, we're not done yet. A couple that didn't make it, and then one great question from Dave Spadaro. A okay. great question. Okay. Okay. Let's see if you have the answer for it. Uh, we talked about roughing the quarterback, not reviewable. Explain uh, the statistical. They looked at, what was it, 80 roughing the passer penalties and only three were questionable? Well, there were six that they said were graded in, they were in 2022. The officiating department, which grades every foul, they graded six as incorrect. Now, that doesn't mean that those six would have been reversed in replay. It means they were graded as incorrect, right? The standard for replay reversal is clear and obvious. So it has to be clear and obvious to reverse something. It's very hard, in my opinion, something like roughing the passer is very hard to it when you apply a clear and obvious replay standard to, to pick up that flag. You might not like it. It might not look like, but when you're really applying the same standard that you apply to a catch rule to roughing the passer, a play that's very subjective because you're talking about forcible, right? What is forcible? When you apply that clear and obvious standard, it becomes very difficult to reverse it. The committee, I believe that when that went to the vote, the committee was already 09 on it because they know how difficult it is to apply that clear and obvious standard to something so subjective. 
we had it. We, you saw what happened. When we did pass interference a few years ago. Yeah, rejected. Uh, proposal to move touchbacks on punts from the twenty yard line to the twenty five. Yeah, I think they just wanted. To, we wanted to look at that more. It did get rejected. Um, the kickoff when a kickoff to touchback comes out to the twenty five. A punt goes into the end zone. It comes out to the twenty now. There was a move to align those touchback spots. So anything, any punt or kickoff into the end zone, any kick play into the end zone, different than a turnover into the end zone, a kick into the end zone would all come out to the 25. I think they wanted to study a little bit more what that would mean for the punt play, what that would mean strategically, adding those five yards to a, to, you know, it puts you in a different, You maybe you're reconsidering where you're punting from if that's going to come Absolutely. out an additional five yards. I like, I like we, we take so much away from special teams. I like that rule to have a little bit more strategy on special teams and to put more onus on punters who have the ability, as we used to call it, the coffin corner. The coffin corner. Or to put it, to put it really high and put it inside yeah. the five. So I think, I, I don't know that we've seen the last of that, although it did get defeated in a vote. I don't know that we've seen the last of it. I think it, it needs a little bit more study tabled the Eagles' proposal for a team to be able to maintain possession of the ball after scoring by converting a fourth and 20 play. Thoughts? So the third time we put it in, um, it's had varying degrees of support. Uh, listen, the, the onside recovery rate in 2022 was the lowest in recorded history. I think it was two for 52. And two, two recovered onside kicks, non-surprise situations, in 52 attempts. And so... It's really become a little bit of a non-play, and that is because of the player safety initiatives that have changed the kickoff, uh, which, are full, which are great and have made the kickoff safer. Um, but one of the unintended consequences was how it's changed the onside kick. So this is an attempt to try to bring that back. That At any time in the game? Yes. You have to be trailing. By any certain number? I mean, I, I love it. I have love the be, idea. Have to be trailing. Gives teams a chance to get back in the game. Have to be trailing. Uh, what was the vote, Four, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, we tabled it, so I don't know. Oh, were, okay, okay. You think it's got a chance? I think it's got a chance. I'm not sure how much of a chance. Um, I know it's got people are people. Some people are very supportive against it. Some people find it uh, gimmicky and are anti it. So I'm not totally sure where it is. Um, Do you call and lobby, John? Sure. Okay. Sure. So in May, this perhaps will come up again. Very, it, it, very, it very well could. It might sit another year. You know what you need, Dave. You might need a couple years. We were at a, we were at more of the historical water level in terms of onside recovery rates in 2021. You might need a couple years of this super low onside recovery rate for people to. I think people identify the problem. I don't think people necessarily feel the problem you might need a little more time to feel the problem before we have the appetite to do it i don't know finally competition committee proposes to make fair catches on kickoffs inside the 25 yard line result in a touchback that's not final that's why why was that Got tabled tabled uh because i well one of the things that they wanted to look at was when you you'd have a penalty on a score and you'd take that 15 yards and you'd bridge it to the kickoff and you'd kick off from the 50. Well, now all of a sudden you're going to try to kick the, you're going to try to kick short and you're going to try to pin that team deep, right? That's yeah. what, that's the strategy. Well, now they can just fair catch that, bring that ball to the 25. So there was the reason it got tabled by the competition committee was because they wanted to look at the penalty enforcement piece of it a little bit more. I think some of it got a little bit of pushback during the voting process. 
I think just generally because of the effect it will have on kickoff returns in general. John, the last one that I have for you is a great question from Dave Spitter. I will say this myself, and people ask me this all the time. Actually, they really don't, but I, propose, I ask people all the time. And it, it coincides, coincides with the Lions' proposal to allow for an emergency third quarterback to be active, a proposal that has been tabled. What I don't understand in this NFL where we are stressing player safety, why is everyone on a 53-man roster not eligible in uniform on the sidelines active for game day? Why, is there, why are the players made inactive? Competitive equity. That is such a misnomer. So the idea being the Philadelphia Eagles have 53 healthy players, 53 guys dressed and ready to go. The, the Dallas Cowboys have 50 players because three guys are physically unable to play. That idea that you can carry guys on the roster but not put them on IR and not be at a competitive disadvantage is the deactivation process. But you can bring them up from the practice squad, can't you? Can't you bring players up from the practice squad, activate them for that game? You could. Yeah, sure. But well, that would well, be just two. Okay, so you're down one player. Well, I'm in my example, what if you have – listen, it's a long season. There's, there's days – I know, so save players' reps. There's days where you have five guys who might be down. Save players' reps. Why, why have players inactive? I asked – by the way, your answer is exactly the same answer that I got from D. Maurice Smith years ago on the sidelines at training camp. Oh, and it just I, doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I just think it's um, – it, it, listen, it is a little bit of a relic too also from the time when IR – when you couldn't return. Now we can return from IR. So putting a guy on IR – let's say a guy's going to miss four weeks, right? Three weeks now, let's say. you In the past – now we're going to carry that guy or you might actually sorry you might put that guy on IR where you wouldn't in the past because you'd be losing him for the season yeah. or a guy's going to miss six weeks and you might carry him because you didn't want to put him on IR and lose him for the season so there I agree with you now with the current IR return rules there is it does seem less relevant Although I do, st I do think – I think the difference between having 53 healthy guys and 52 healthy guys is unfair, and this does balance that. This the Knowing – so you can prepare to have 48. I'll weigh that against having six guys inactive and having my defensive tackle take unnecessary reps at the end of a game. How many of those players get hurt? Would you consider it? and possibly propose it next year <laughs> and call it the Spadero rule. If sure. it ever, yes. just, it would be a dream of mine. Yes. Look, I've, I've always wanted to draft a player. That's never going to happen. I've always wanted to have some input in a play call. I don't think that's ever going to happen. This might be my only shot. I had a different rule I was going to call the Spadero rule, but now, now, now I will. What was that going to be? Don't, don't get married on the field before the, <laughs> night, before, on the night before practice. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, Can't don't spread wait. that one. Can't John wait. Ferrari, thank you so much. Thank Fascinating you, stuff. And um, I, Listen, I hope it is. To pe uh, it listen, is. It's, it's very fast. People it, are, we're, we're all into the game totally. It definitely informs how, you know, the, some of this stuff you might not see very often, but it does have an impact on the game and how you strategize in the game. Um, you know, sometimes a rule book's not the sexiest document, but I, I think that, you know, there's a little bit of an edge to be found by, by knowing it inside and out. Has anybody upstairs, be honest with me, said, 
we're having, we're having a practice on a day. The night before that practice, I'm getting married on the field. Has anyone said, are you bleeping, 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 kidding me? Spadaro's <laughs> getting married. Get him off the field. Has anybody said that? No one said that. Oh, now, goodness. I haven't talked to Tony Leonard yet. No, I have, I have talked to Tony Leonard a lot about <laughs> Tony, it. We're like on the field for like two seconds. He might be behind you with a sod machine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Ferrari, we thank you so much for joining us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. Thanks to everyone who made this possible. Ray Doyle, our media relationship. Department, Peter Kelly, Kira Mahoney, and all of you for joining each and every week. We are getting closer to NFL Draft 2023. Merrill Reese will join me next week to talk about his thoughts on what the Eagles might want to do. Thanks for joining, everyone. Have yourselves a great Eagles day. Fly, Eagles, fly. And go, birds! E-A-T-L-E-S!